Welcome to the Vibrant Workplace podcast. This is the show where we explore how companies can build vibrant workplaces that attract, engage, and retain talented people who have a positive experience of work that benefits both employers and employees. I'm Craig Thompson, founder of Vibrant Talent. We help organizations become vibrant workplaces where people want to take jobs, make a positive impact through their work, and feel like it was worthwhile doing it. Today, I'm with John Franco, thinker and partner founder of St. Louis, Missouri-based industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, who help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. John has a mission to create one of the best workplaces in the country, and today he's going to tell us what he's learned on that journey and what the four key people metrics are that help him gauge progress. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and the company and I guess why it matters to you to create one of the best workplaces in the country? Yeah, absolutely. So Craig, first of all, it's an honor to be on the show with you. So yeah, my name's John Franco. I helped start Gorilla76. I'm a co-founder in July of 2006. That's actually where the 7-6 comes from of the of our name, the seventh month of 2006. It's kind of when we had- I was going to ask that actually. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a great journey for us in probably about 2011, I would say that's when we really started to niche down and started to focus more and more on, at the time we were kind of calling them like the blue collar brands that has since niched down even more into like manufacturing pretty much specifically. We do have a couple of clients that are outside of that, that have been with us a long time, but they're still very much a business to business types of companies. And they're still kind of related to the industrial space. That culture, I mean, there's two reasons that we focus so much on our culture at Gorilla. One is the right thing to do. When people spend as much as their time, a a third of their adult life, essentially outside of retirement, working kind of feels like it's the thing we owe these folks. I believe the stat was like 90,000 or 100,000 hours in a lifetime where where people are working. So I think it's right that we acknowledge that. And then selfishly on our end, the better the workplace, the harder it is for people to leave and the better talent we can attract, the longer we can keep them. It's just kind of a win-win for everybody. I want to create a place where I want to go to work and where people are happy and where life is good, essentially. And so culture is at the core of all of that. It's a really good point that you mentioned there, actually, John, because you know I heard a story about a CEO recently who has had to leave the company because of health complications, basically, and the way things have impacted him over the years. And I've heard so much about this particular organization being a horrible place to work, but we always talk about the impact of culture on the employees. And nobody really talks about the impact of culture on the actual, you know, the owner of the business or the CEO or the MD, what way it impacts people at the top, but it actually hurts them too for a business not to be a really great place to work. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. And people at our company energize me and honestly, like get it right into the heavy stuff right at the beginning. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in January of 2016. And honestly, the thing that got me through the early days of that diagnosis were the people at our company. And they didn't even know necessarily right at the time I was diagnosed or going through the process of finding out. I was pretty transparent right from the beginning once I found out. But if it weren't for them and if it weren't for the fun. And that's when we were still in the office. If it weren't for just being able to go and spend time and compartmentalize a bit and leave my worries at home and having this great culture to come to, I don't know where I would be or it would have been a lot darker than it was, so to speak. Yeah, I can totally imagine that, John. You know, in normal circumstances, 
we need and we want to have people around us who are on the same team as us. But when things get difficult like that, even more so, it's important to be surrounded by people, not just who are coworkers, but who care about you and who care about each other. Yep, absolutely. You got to build your tribe and you got to take care of that tribe and you have to be intentional about it. I think knowing how much time we spend at work, that's why being surrounded by good people at work is so important, I think, to all of our happiness. Yeah. Okay. Where did the name Gorilla come from? So Gorilla came from, Gorilla spelled the other way, G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. Okay. When my business partner and I first started, we were two super young guys just trying to get some projects wherever we could. And a lot of the clients we had to work with were much smaller and had smaller budgets. So we found ourselves doing a lot of what is called is guerrilla marketing. And so we didn't want to be that literal and spell it that way. We thought the actual guerrilla was a symbol of strength and intelligence. It was a name that we came up with and it stuck. And there's been times where we've even thought back like, man, maybe we would name it differently now or whatever, but okay, everybody kind of likes it. So we've just run with it. Yeah. Yeah. It really stands out. Gorilla 76, it just rolls off the tongue. It's really interesting to me that you mentioned about, you know, the whole people and values side of things right from the start about why culture matters to you. And you talked about how people spend a third of their life at work. That's exactly why I set my business up. Back in 2014, I just looked around in the workplace where I was working at the time, but not just in that workplace. In I sort of reflected on all the places where I'd worked. And I just felt like most of the people that I could see around me, whether it was coworkers, friends, family members, most people seemed to be miserable. And I just felt like, who wins out of this? Because those people are miserable. But actually what happens when people are miserable is they take more time off sick or they're in work, but they're present in body and not necessarily in mind. So they're not really contributing anything or they're delivering a really poor service to our customers and our clients. And ultimately, one way or another, they leave the business because they either choose to leave or they're underperforming, so they get fired. So who actually wins from that sort of toxic environment that a lot of organizations still seem to persist with? Totally agree. And I think when you think about the end product that you're going to give to your customer, if people aren't happy at work and if they are not enjoying what they're doing, they are not going to put out the best product possible. So Mm -hmm. the client ultimately suffers. And if you have unhappy people and unhappy clients, I don't think you're going to do too well. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to dig into that further in this episode because we've talked about you know why it's the right thing to do with this sort of commitments and the sacrifices people make for their work throughout their lives. But on the business side, there's a lot of benefits to an employer to create that better working world. So we'll talk about some of that shortly. One thing I'm interested in at the start is what culture actually means to you. How would you define it? What is culture? We talk about all these, you know, business jargony kind of terms, but what does it mean to you? Culture to me is really, it's an embodiment of a company's core values. I used to think culture was the office, you know, PlayStation, the beer fridge, the ping pong table, all that stuff that I think when you're younger really makes it seem like, oh, I work in advertising. This is such a cool space. And we have all those goofy perks. But what I've realized, it's actually the core values. And if a company can adhere to them, for instance, our company is built on results, improvement, relationships, kindness, and inclusivity. And when you look and talk to every one of our employees, you will see that they embody each and every one of these core values. We are all drastically different people outside of work, come from a variety of religious backgrounds, life experiences, geography. But the thing that ties us all together are these core values. 
And to me, that is what culture is, an adherence to core values. And okay. I used to roll my eyes when I would talk about core values because I was kind of like, this is <laughs> service. But I have realized that it's arguably probably the most important thing from a people standpoint that we have in place. There are really polarized views around core values. And I think that where that comes from is I think people are they're starting to get really anti business values and corporate values. But I think where that comes from is so many people have had negative experiences where the only time that they've been exposed to values is when they work in a company where it's words painted up on an office wall. Nobody knows where they came from or how they were created or why those were the ones that were chosen or what difference it actually makes to them and to the company. So what have you done differently then so the values that you have actually matter to people? It starts even in our hiring process. It starts on our website, actually. Like It is woven into the copy, like kindness, for instance. I don't think there are as many marketing agencies out there that talk openly about kindness. Now, of course, we can talk about it, but do we live it? Well, from there, you go into the interviewing process. We have questions built around our core values that aren't explicitly candidate A, are you a nice person? We're not asking about that, but we're trying to dig in to learn more about how they might be a kind person in their day-to-day life. We have a Slack channel that is built around core value shout outs. So anytime somebody does something that another employee recognizes as embodying our core value, they get called out for it. And I mean, I'm not kidding when I say we probably have 10 to 20 call outs a week in that channel. And it's all happening organically. Maybe 10 to 15, 20 maybe is an exaggeration. I don't know, but it kind of depends on the week. We probably need to call it the golden gear or something at this point, considering our focus on manufacturing. But for several years, when we were a little more zoomed out and we were less only manufacturing, I went to the local hardware store and I bought a hammer and I spray painted it gold. And it's kind of become a traveling trophy where every quarter, basically someone is named like wins the golden hammer and it's based around our core values. So again, there are other things we're doing too, but it's just kind of baked into a lot of our processes and into a lot of our thinking. And we talk about them constantly. They are not things that are painted on the break room wall. And and I mean, we're all virtual at this point, so there isn't really a break Mm -hmm. room. It's constantly part of our dialogue and constantly part of the narrative at Gorilla. And so people just are living them. We rate people every quarter at their quarterly review on how they're measuring up to the core values. It's constantly being talked about. Fantastic. I love that. And it sounds like it's reinforced in everything you do. And I love the culture call out because then you're getting real examples from people being reinforced all the time. This is what we're looking for. This is what it means to live these values. The golden hammer is an interesting one. It makes me think of Thor. I'm almost visualizing here. You can only lift the hammer if you demonstrate the values. Exactly. That's kind of the idea. Very good. Very good. So, you know, you talked about measurements there and obviously in those one-to-ones with people, you're looking for how they demonstrated the values. But one of the reasons I invited you on for this episode was because I know that you have four key measures that are really important to you that show people metrics really, that show what you're doing in this area of people and culture is making a difference. Can you share a bit about what those are? Yeah, absolutely. So the four that I pay attention to and are kind of my, there are two that are my weekly key accountabilities in our weekly leadership team meeting. And those are engagement and employee net promoter score. And then another two that I just keep an eye on and report monthly with fractional CFO and my business partner are average tenure and turnover rate. Kind of keeping an eye on those just kind of gives me a good gauge of overall just how things are trending and if if we're starting to see any issues. Yeah. 
There's probably several others that we should be looking at, but those are the four that I really focus on and tend to give me the most information. Yeah. Okay. So obviously the last, you know, couple of years in particular has been really difficult when we think about the pandemic and when we think at the moment, you know, about the cost of living crisis, has that impacted, you know, those key metrics for you, whether positively or negatively because of how you've had to adapt as a business? I think initially it impacted us negatively because we lost some people to just the talent war. They were getting offered salaries that we just couldn't compete with. And, you know, frankly, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying these people didn't deserve them, but they were extremely aggressive. I think some of these companies are, you know, starting to feel the hurt on that on the other end now. But, you know, so that was the negative. We saw some turnover that no matter what we would have done, I don't think we could have. And of course, work is not all about money, et cetera. But whenever somebody's calling you with a 35 to 40% raise, it's pretty mm. damn tough to turn that down. Yeah. Now, what it has forced us to do is think more about what we're paying our people. It's forced us to think about what benefits can we improve? You know, we now pick up 100% of employee insurance and we're hopefully getting ready to start picking up some of their dependence insurance costs. It's made us think about how we look at just the workplace in general, and made us think about, you know, remote versus forcing everyone to come into the office. So I guess we have learned from the negatives. And I think that's really anything in life is there's going to be negatives. If you can learn from them, well, then maybe they weren't really a negative and it was a positive in the first place. Mm-hmm. You seem to be a bit of a risk taker, John. I would say a calculated risk taker, of course. But I think that there's a lot of people out there in companies who see really innovative, interesting ideas online and they read about these things. but it's a really bold and brave step to actually make the move and try these things. But I've seen a few things when I was researching you for the episode today. Things like I saw that you had posted that you don't track sick days, that you pay at a really high level in comparison with your competitors. I've even seen that you pay your employees to leave was a post that I saw that you had put up. So what makes you different? Why are you prepared to take those chances when other people don't? Oh man, why am I different? That's a loaded (laughs) question, Craig. I think Joe and I, my business partner and I have always tried to just think about what we would want if we were in our employees' shoes, as well as do things that are the right thing to do, as well as do things that are innovative and are going to help Gorilla. So not tracking the sick days, for instance. We're in a remote setting. If someone's not feeling well, it's crazy for me to think that they are just going to sit there in front of their computer when they're not being watched and just crank through things. It's also crazy for me to think, or not crazy, but seeing what happened to the world with COVID, like I think it's the responsible thing to do. I remember when I had a job, I still have a job, but when I was early in my career, I guess, if I woke up with a cold or feeling pretty rough, provided that I could still function, I would go into the office. Now, that was not the smart thing to do. And we saw the what it looked like in a worst case scenario with COVID. I mean, we needed people to stay at home when they were sick. We still expect people to get a certain amount of work done. And whenever we schedule out the work, there's padding that's built in based off like the amount of work we can get out of someone. The thing that really recently seemed to catch some headlines, and it's probably how we connected, Craig, was the paying people to leave. And essentially what that is, is we'll give people a 10% raise immediately. If they give us six weeks or more notice that they are unhappy and just kind of ready for a change. And we'll honor that up to three months of employment. Now, if you stop and do the math on a 
let's say like a $50,000 or $55,000 employee. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that much money. I want to say it's with taxes and everything taken out, you're looking at five, six, seven hundred bucks. But still, like, I think the bigger message it communicates is like, it's okay. We don't think everyone's going to retire with us. We want as much heads up on our end so that we can protect our team and protect our clients. They have that person help us find their replacement. So it's been a positive thing in a lot of ways. We have an employee going through it right now. He came to me probably about a month ago, a month and a half ago, was like, John, and he's been there five and a half years. I'm just ready for a change. I'm looking. I don't know exactly what my next step looks like, but I'm officially turning in my notice that I'll be moving on. And we have him until the end of November now. He's helping us interview vet people, or he did. I mean, we already found the replacement. She now is able to learn under him. And it's just been a really positive policy. And it sounds radical on paper, but it's really not. I think that's how it is with a lot of ideas that kind of go viral, so to speak, or get people excited. When you really look at them, look at their core, they're really not that wild and outrageous when it's all said. Yeah, it's often the simple stuff. You know, you talked before about you used to think that culture was the pool tables and the beer taps and, you know, the bean bags and all the stuff that the cool tech companies do. But honestly, I don't personally believe that that's the sort of stuff that's the reason why somebody chooses to take a job in a company or the reason why someone stays. I mean, if you're staying in a company because of the beer tap, yeah. you're probably focusing on the real, the wrong things. Exactly. exactly. So I guess if I was speaking to your employees, what do you think they would say are the best things about working at Gorilla 76? I can tell you without a doubt, the answer would be the people, because that is a question that comes up anytime we're interviewing someone. Like the candidate will often ask, what's your favorite thing about working at Gorilla? Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard an answer that isn't instantly my coworkers and the people. And again, I think that all ties back to us hiring against those core values. If we hire against those core values, that will always be the answer. If we start to negotiate on any of those or we start to give in on any of those, that's where all of a sudden it's not going to be the answer anymore. And I think it's really important that the people continues to be the answer. Mm -hmm. Because if you believe you're surrounded by good, intelligent, hardworking people, it's only going to inspire you to do better. It's kind of that like rule at You're a product of the five people you surround yourself most by. Yeah. I think that's so true in the workplace. Yeah. It's interesting that that's what you said, because we have an employee experience platform called Mookie. And one of the things it does is it sends out a pulse each day towards the end of an employee shift to give them a way to express themselves and tell us how their experience of work has been. And the two things that come up most often, one of them is a sense of achievement. So people, when they come to work, If they achieve what they set out to achieve, they have a good or a great day. And if they don't, they have a bad or a terrible day. But the other one that typically comes up either as the main factor or, you know, the second most important factor that influences someone's experience of work is their interactions with their coworkers. And that's not even necessarily just management. That's actually the team. So I guess, you know, it's not just about hiring the right people. It's about when you get those people in place how you help them to gel as a team and work well together. So what's worked for you in that area? That's a great question. I think one thing that's nice about Gorilla is you're not working with the same people all the time. The way we're kind of set up is you have a client team, but you may be on a like client team with one set of people, but then on a client team with another set of people. So there's a lot of kind of cross-pollination of ideas. Almost everybody in our company gets to work with almost everybody in our company. 
There are a few places where they're just, they don't cross over yet, but they probably will. But there's a lot of opportunity for people to work with other people. So I think that is kind of key to that is just setting it up. So everyone gets that opportunity to witness what it's like to work with different coworkers, to have different conversations, to, you know, again, we have people from all over the country at this point. So you're working with people in other parts. There are all these conversations that happen that often aren't tied around work, but are tied back to kind of, you know, what their just daily life is. And I think creating all those opportunities for that, that meshing and that interaction to happen are just kind of at the core of it all. I don't know. That was a weird way to answer your question. (laughs) I don't know. Part of what we're talking about here is why this is the right stuff to do for people. It's based on principles. It's based on values. If people are going to give up so much of their life for their employers, they deserve to have a positive experience of work in return. But let's not be naive. At the same time, this has to work for the business too. There's got to be a balance between what works for the workforce and also what works for the employer. So back to your four key people metrics then, when we look at things like engagement, your employee net promoter score, your kind of average tenure and your turnover, is there anything you can share with us that says this is not just fluffy stuff as a lot of people still see it, a nice thing to do. This is something that you must do because this pays off. It makes a difference. We've been tracking these metrics since, let's see here, 2017. Our overall engagement score in 2017 was 7.6. In the software we use, it essentially takes 10 key metrics, you know, things like relationship with manager, relationship with peers, recognition, alignment, yada, yada. There's 10 of them. And it creates an average that creates your overall engagement score. It's on a zero to 10 scale. Anything above, I would say 8.5 is pretty dang good. So in 2017, we were closer to like a 7.4 engagement score. As of today, because of a lot of policies we've been put in place, a lot of listening, a lot of, hey, well, we heard the feedback, we were screwing up, now we're doing it this way and we've improved it. Now that engagement score is at a nine, which is the highest it's ever been. It's been there for about a month now. That's fantastic. Well done. Yeah, thank you. And the metric I try to kind of keep it above there, like I said, is 8.5. In terms of the ENPS score, the metric there I'm trying to keep it above is 60. We've had some rough days in terms of that employee net promoter score early on in our business. We were never below zero, which is kind of like the minimum that you want to be. But you know, there were times where we were at 15, 12, 18, whatnot. Today, we are sitting at 78. Earlier this summer, we hit, let's see, 89 one day. So again, we have taken massive strides in kind of improving there. So and again, that's not to credit my business partner and myself or anything like that. That's just to credit us finally learning how to listen and to try to understand and growing as leaders. And also a huge thing that's happened that cannot be discounted is we've started to promote other people internally to leadership positions. At one point, we were kind of a flat organization. Now we're starting to have some hierarchy. And naturally, the management is getting way better because Joe and I, that's my business partner, we have to wear Mm -hmm. a lot of hats. I was listening to a podcast last night and it was about how like you have to learn to fire yourself from doing some things. That was one of the things I had to learn to fire myself from, like doing the reviews and doing the growth and the professional development for everyone within our company, because we were just getting too big. And I was having to phone it in. I was doing, I knew it could be done better. And now that we've started to create that hierarchy, we are seeing it being done way better. I fully subscribe to the idea of surrounding yourself with people that are smarter and better at their job than you are. And so 
if I'm hiring someone, it would be crazy for me not to just trust them and be like, okay, this is what you've been hired to do. Do it now. We've learned to trust our people to do that. And we're seeing a very positive impact from doing such. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's a really high EMPS. That's really good, really strong. And that obviously is evidence in itself that what you're doing is working, that people are having a positive experience working for you. But then when we test the concept of the engagement score and the employee net promoter score themselves, where you really want to see an impact on those is with your average turnover and with your staff attrition levels, which are obviously, you know, your tenure and your turnover are your other two key metrics. So have you seen, you know, are you happy with where you're at with those? I'm happy with where average tenure is going. It's the highest it's been while ever. We're right at about two and a half years, which in the marketing space is from everything I read online is pretty strong. Yeah. Our turnover rate, and it's a little complicated right now because we actually eliminated a position this year. And so that's kind of played into effect. But I would say without accounting for that, you know, unplanned employee turnover, which is kind of really what we're focused on, mm. we're probably in the mid 20%. And okay, average in the industry is kind of 30 to 35% in the States is based off everything I find online. I want that number to be below 20%, which would be yeah. is really aggressive. And I realize there could be people listening from other industries that are like, holy cow, a 20% turnover? Like, how do you sleep at night? It's just the reality <laughs> of this space. People work somewhere for a couple of years and they move on because that's kind of how you grow in this space to a certain extent. If you're at a place that's not focused on growing people within. So that has become mm-hmm. a focus of ours. So our numbers have gotten better in terms of, of these metrics. I'm interested to see what they are next year whenever we're not going through tech companies throwing an extra 30 to 40% at somebody and luring them away. Like I think next year we will see our turnover drop drastically. Who knows though? You never know what's ahead of you. Exactly. You don't. I think the most important thing you can do is what you've already mentioned about listening and then acting on feedback. And I think sometimes the disconnect there is there are organizations who listen and then do act on feedback, but they don't necessarily communicate what they've done. They don't show that they've listened. So they have actually taken on board the feedback. They have made changes, but they haven't actually communicated it effectively across the business. So people feel like they haven't been heard, even though they have. It's about actually making sure that the employees know that you said this, and here's what we did as a result of it. But the other thing I would say, you know, I'm curious to know what you think of this is I always feel like you don't have to necessarily change as a result of feedback, but you do have to be prepared to have authentic conversations with people about why things are the way they are. Absolutely. And the same tool that lets us measure all of these metrics, it also has just a place where people can send in anonymous feedback. They can also make it so their name's attached to it. It's kind of up to them. But I respond to every single one of those comments. And sometimes it's exactly what you said. Hey, I understand what you're saying, but this is why we've done it this way. And this is why we do it. And that's all they want. People just want to be heard. A lot of times that it's just, they don't know the reason behind something. And I've had numerous employees say like, I can't believe you respond to all of these. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, that's my job is to listen to what, especially as my role as a founder. And as I think about the importance of your people as a resource, I'd be crazy not to listen to what they're saying. And a lot of change has happened because of what they've said. For every one of those things that I say, well, this is why we do it this way. There's probably five things that people put out that I'm like, you know what? That's a really good point. We should explore that. So 
Yeah, I think that whole idea of like, there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth. It's like, you need to listen. I think that's true across all human communication. Yeah. Well, look, you've shared so much already about what you've done to get from where you were to where you are now. And I know that you have your goals then, you have your ambitions, you want to bring that turnover down uh, below 20%. So you've learned lessons along the way, you've listened to people, you've changed things. What do you think is coming next that you, and even wider in industry, that people are going to need to focus on in order to optimize employee engagement by extension of that, optimize these key metrics in terms of people metrics and business performance? I think the big thing that we're all going to have to be focusing on is figuring out the four-day work week and bringing it and making it a reality. I think there's a lot of research being done that people can accomplish more in less amount of time. And the five-day work week is just kind of arbitrary anyway, whenever you read about the history of it. And now that we're, a lot of us are eliminating commute times and meetings are getting more intentional and there's not the Mm -hmm. distractions that happen within the office. And I'm not saying that all those distractions were bad. I think a lot of them were good. Yeah. I think that's going to be the thing I'm already hearing it like crazy. And I know in Europe, like they're talking about it more and more than we probably are here in the States. But I think that's going to be the next thing that we're all trying to figure out. That's my guess. Yeah, it's a movement that I'm really interested in in particular. I ran an event pre-pandemic where we had the pioneer of the four-day week and now the head of the four-day week global, Charlotte Lockhart, come to Belfast and talk to us about it. But also the very first podcast episode that I recorded was with Michelle Murphy from a company called JMK Solicitors and also Crash Services, their sister companies. Here in Northern Ireland, they moved to a four-day work week and they managed to reduce their attrition and staff turnover levels to 1%. Yeah. Which is incredible. So yeah, I mean, look, if we can achieve more because we're healthier and we're happier, more focused, more disciplined, we can do more in less time. It's beneficial to employer and employee. Why would we not? I guess. Well, I was going to add one other thing that I think it's not really a movement. I think it will be a focus though. And a buddy of mine, really smart agency owner, a former agency owner here in St. Louis, I remember him telling me the currency of the next generation is going to be emotional intelligence. And okay, yeah, I'm seeing that more and more. I think, again, listening to a podcast last night, 10 or 15 years ago, well, I guess we didn't have Instagram at the time. Maybe we did. I can't do math. Yeah, I guess we had Instagram at the time, but it was all about, look how well I'm doing. Look at the car I have. Look at whatever. And I'm not saying that doesn't still happen, but if you look carefully, mm-hmm. you see a lot of people talking about what they're grateful for now. They're talking about self-help. They're talking about the conversation I think is starting to shift. And I think we're kind of starting to go back to some of those quote unquote older values of just the importance of just being a good person. And again, I think emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence and being emotionally aware and knowing how to have a conversation with somebody and knowing how to reach out to somebody when you can tell that they need somebody to reach out to them. So I think that's going to be a big focus as well. You're absolutely right. You know, I totally agree. It's about building these human workplaces that are focused on the quality of human relationships and emotional intelligence. It's both about how we interact with other people and what we see and what we understand about what's going on with them and how we can adapt and improve our relationships with them. But it's also as well about how the world of work and how the world in general impacts ourselves and what we can do to put ourselves in a really what is called a resourceful state, a really good place that's going to benefit us and benefit our relationships in the workplace. And we could do an episode on that in itself. But look, I know our time is up here, John. So 
thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing what you have. Honestly, it is really inspiring for me to hear your story and everything you've been through and to see where you are now today and ultimately the evidence that it's paying off for you in terms of things like those really high engagement and net promoter scores. So well done. Thanks. It was great to be here, Craig. Truly an honor to get to chat with you. Great. Look, if people you know, are really interested in what you've had to say here, John, and they wanted to follow up with you, can they do that? Where should we direct them to? You can go to our company website, gorilla76.com, G-O-R-I-L-L-A-7-6.com. My email is just john at gorilla76.com, so J-O-N, no H. I think we actually have it set up. So if you put an H in it, it'll still come to me regardless. But I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. So if you just look for John Franco, J-O-N, Franco, F-R-A-N-K-O on LinkedIn at Gorilla76, reach out, let's connect and let's keep the conversation going. Fantastic. Thanks, John. And thank you to our listeners as well for tuning in. I hope you find this episode interesting. If you have any suggestions or ideas for the show, maybe topics that you'd like us to explore or people that you think we should interview, even yourself, please drop me an email using craig at vibranttalent.co.uk. Or if your company is struggling with talent attraction, engagement, or retention, I'm more than happy to have a chat about that as well. So just drop me an email or check out the website, vibranttalent.co.uk. If you have enjoyed the show, I would really appreciate if you would give it a five-star rating, a follow, and a share so that we can get these stories out to as wide an audience as possible help people to learn from them and ultimately make a better working world together. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening.